Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, stated clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. Thank you again, Rachel, and welcome to all of you to In All Things, another episode as we drop every Friday this podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. We're grateful for the traction that this uh, small, modest podcast is getting as people at our most recent General Assembly uh, came up to me in the hallways of Ward EPC Church and uh, thanked me for the podcast and told me which was their favorite episode and uh, that they were listening and sharing with others. And of course, that was super gratifying to us to hear that this is having the effect that we hope for. Of course, the original intent was to be a podcast inside the EPC for the EPC about the EPC. But we hoped as time would go on uh, that some of the internal conversations that we were having would be a benefit to the larger church outside uh, the EPC. And I think you'll find that today's conversation is one of those podcasts. Our podcast today is brought to you by our friends at World Outreach. They go to the hard places, uh, the places that have the least access to the gospel uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ. And again, having just been at our General Assembly recently, having the chance to be with our global workers and to see their incredible dedication, their incredible faith, uh, their love for the Lord, and their commitment to carrying this good news to the difficult places, I hope and pray that you might reach out through epc.org and connect uh, with what is going on in World Outreach. And one of the ways you can do that is simply by asking for a copy of the World Outreach a prayer calendar. It sits right on your desk with it every day, a, a different global worker that you can pray for. I have one sitting on my desk. It reminds me every day uh, to pray for a family of EPC World Outreach in some particular part of the world uh, where they're laboring uh, for the gospel. One of the other things that Gabriel Teguia, our executive director, wants me to communicate to you is that uh, we've crested over the half million dollar mark uh, for our relief efforts in the Ukraine. Uh, we have more than six EPC World Outreach Global Workers, uh, either in the Ukraine or on the edge of the Ukraine, uh, running trips into the Ukraine, bringing food, bringing Christian information, including Bibles and evangelistic tracts. Um, there is a great hunger and openness of the people of the Ukraine during this crisis to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they're both uh, bringing in necessary and needed supplies to care for people and their material well-being, but also that uh, good news of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, your uh, investment, your gifts to the International Disaster Relief Fund through EPC World Outreach has made a huge difference. One example of that being is that we bought quite a few bulletproof vests uh, for our pastors and chaplains who are not running away from 
the hard places, but they're running into the hard places with the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the nature of what it means to give our lives as a materios, as the Bible says, uh, a witness. But materios or witness uh, is where we get the word martyr from, the willingness to give your entire life uh, for Christ and what that looks like. And that leads us to our conversation today. Uh, Mark Christian is a member of Covenant uh, Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Omaha, Nebraska, but he hasn't always been in America's heartland. He actually grew up in the Middle East, and uh, he has quite a story to tell of someone who grew up in a very hard place who dared to question his own uh, religion and background and really uh, at the expense of his own life and his own family, the questioning and the choosing and the decisions that he made have had a profound uh, impact on him and in his journey to find out what is true. And that sort of is the seminal uh, point of the book that he has written. A search for truth led him to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, and that is Jesus Christ. But from that exodus, literally out of Egypt, into the truth of following Jesus. Uh, Mark Christian has written a book called The Apostate. And so, Mark, welcome to In All Things. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honor to be with you today. It's a delight to have you here. I'm going to take it, Mark, from my brief uh, quick look over of your book uh, that you are the apostate. Is that correct? Uh, that is true. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Exodus out of Egypt. That's actually the original title of the book. But then we changed it to apostate. And, and the reason for choosing that name, this is the most dire crime in Islam, to be an apostate. And uh, many Muslims run away from that kind of title. Uh, and I did decide that, you know, it is the best to, to just uh, put my picture on the book and put my name underneath. It seemed like, you know, uh, the most criminal uh, one who is, uh, uh, wanted to be like the most wanted, just actually hanging their own picture on the trees. So right. I, I did that. Right. You're not hiding from it here. Absolutely not. No. Well, and interestingly enough, in the early days of the uh, followers of the way, uh, Jesus's followers were called that, when we got the name Christian, it wasn't actually a um, compliment. It was actually a ridicule. It was a, it was an indictment. Uh, you know, Christian meaning little Christ. Uh, they were mocking uh, the followers of the way when that tape, that, that title was uh, tagged on them. But they wore that, that uh, indictment with honor. And uh, that's what you're doing as the apostate. Yeah, it's a badge of honor, and you know, and it, absolutely, you know, they they set the example for us, and they changed the world uh, for better, and they followed the, the the great commission of Jesus Christ, and and uh, this is, I think, every Christian should be doing this, uh, each one of us, because this is what Jesus told us to do. Well, let's go back to your story, Mark, because the book opens with a pretty gripping account of you with a a tension between you and a, an older man who is an important figure in your life. Uh, you begin to question Islam as someone who's grown up in Islam. That questioning leads to a, a strain of that relationship, and there's an opportunity for you to come together with this person, and something pretty dramatic happens. And I've got to think that that seminal moment uh, where you had been questioning truth is the kind of Damascus road almost, if you will, that turns you toward a pathway that will lead you to the Savior. Tell us about your growing up in Egypt and what led to you beginning to question uh, the truth of Islam and start down the path that, that you now walk. 
I grew up in Cairo, Egypt, and uh, it is the biggest metropolitan area in the Middle East. And it, it is, you know, in one way or another, it has been the capital of Islam for quite some time, actually, before Saudi Arabia started getting a grip on financial supremacy and other things that they start to uh, be competing with with Cairo. But the biggest Islamic university is in Cairo and, and, and many other things. I actually had a rather kind of different uh, upbringing because I grew up in a very interesting family dynamic. Number one is uh, my dad's side is a very religious Islamic uh, background and my mother was not. And I brought both of their examples in the book so we can I can actually uh, give an example of how Islamic life looks like. When I am looking also at my dad's side, which is, has the biggest influence on me, I, I, you know, my dad's side is not only religious, but they are very much involved in all the aspects of Islam, political and otherwise. What branch of Islam was your father a part of? Sunni, Sunni Islam. He was just Sunni. Okay. Sunni Islam. Okay. But uh, my great uncle was actually one of the co-founder of the Muslim Brotherhood organization in 1924, 28. Okay. And, uh, and that actually built a legacy in my dad's side. Uh, of the family of the Muslim Brotherhood. And the Muslim Brotherhood is a, is a very strong organization that started in 1928 in Egypt, and right now they span all over the world, and they are have a great existence in the United States and everywhere else. And uh, just for those who don't know, the Muslim Brotherhood, would you describe it as one of the more um, militaristic or one of the more aggressive expressions of Sunni Islam? Uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is everything uh, that Islam represents. They are uh, scholars in Islam, they are preachers and teachers, they are professionals, and also they carry the, the banner of political Islam. Uh, since 1928, they kind of uh, build up together. And, you know, in the book, I'm, I, I explain a lot about what the Muslim Brotherhood is and about uh, the notions that we have in the media, mostly about military Islam and non-military Islam and all of that stuff. I think uh, one of the reasons I wrote this book is actually to, answer many of the questions that people have in the United States since, nine, since 2001, 9-11, and the misdeception uh, and, and, and all the things that's happening in the United States about what Islam is and what's not. So I'm, I encourage people to read the book so they can understand uh, some of the misunderstanding uh, about a different kind of uh, faction of Islam and, and, and many other things. And they'll, but, hear that, and they'll hear that from the inside, from someone who grew up in that tradition. Yeah, I'm actually, you know, I, I would claim that actually my family is a family of a Muslim Brotherhood, and we have all, you know, uh, my uncle has been imprisoned for uh, multiple times and almost died in jail in 1966 because of, uh, because of his affiliation with the Muslim Brotherhood and the fight between, you know, the official government and the pseudo-government of the Muslim Brotherhood, the relationship with the Muslim Brotherhood and the CIA in the 50s and, um, and the 60s and so forth. You, you will read so much about that, but, but it's really... It's all for the purpose of understanding. I'm not trying to bash anybody. You will find this book different from any book that you have read about Islam. And I did this intentionally because as a Christian, we have to reach out the truth with love and we have to reach out others with love as well. So it is educational more than trying to put any kind of... Like going back to the depth of things to understand stuff and make it in the easiest way possible. Well, going back to the beginning of the book, what started you down this journey was a quest for truth. Absolutely. So talk to us about how your quest for truth led you to where you are. I'm going to go back very quickly to talk about my upbringing. So I, at the age of five, and there's a story that I mentioned uh, clearly in the book about, I became a very uh, religious Muslim young kid. I start memorizing the Quran and start, uh, you know, witnessing Islam early on, you know, with 
great uh, adherence that is not normal, actually. And by the age of 12, I already amassed uh, enough theology and scripture and so forth that I, uh, I started becoming an imam at the age of 12. And and that helped a lot. That helped. What helped me a lot is my dad himself. He's uh, he's still till today um, a, a major Islamic uh, Imam, which is a, a preacher. Uh, he is also a physician and a military officer. So he's many. He wears many hats, and one of them is that he is a very uh, well-known um, religious leader. Wrote 19 books about Islam. Uh, Build uh, nine Islamic schools. Uh, Build uh, three big uh, mosques in in Cairo, and he preaches every Friday to uh, around 3,000 to 5,000. And uh, Muslims every day, and he's he's about to get get ready to go to Mecca right now for the fifty fourth time. I myself went to Mecca nine times for pilgrimage and other things. So this is kind of an upbringing I had. And uh, when I was in medical school, uh, I got accepted, and I had a, uh, some sort of a gap year. And I decided to invest the time that I have during that time instead of going playing and partying and stuff like that because all of that was not allowed under my own conviction as a Muslim. So I decided that I wanted to invest the time I have into digging deep into Islamic teachings, theology, history, and everything else. And my uh, intention was actually to equip myself with all the things that's needed so I can become an Islamic preacher myself, also as a physician and also going to be an Islamic preacher, exactly like my dad, kind of. I was going to say, so your father is a, is, a, is a doctor, a medical doctor, yes. and an Islamic scholar and preacher, and you were on the pathway to follow that. Exactly. That's it. And I wanted to be better than him, you know, a uh, young man coming out, so I'm going to be better than him. And my intention was uh, to reach out to the Christians and the Jews and the non-Muslims by the truth of Islam. That's my intention. But when I started digging into um, history, theology, and all the things that I wanted to do, and I, I kind of pin it down uh, exactly how I did it and all of that, I start finding discrepancies and problems within the fabric of Islam itself. And one of the biggest things that I was struggling with is the legitimacy of Muhammad as a prophet. You know, all started with Muhammad and ends with Muhammad because he is the prophet of Islam. He is the founder. He is the one who tells the truth. He is on and so forth. I was trying to ask, answer the question if Muhammad is a legitimate prophet or not. And, you know, uh, I wanted to go and see... I have to think that question, growing up as you did, that's an unusual question, right? Was that ever questioned? Absolutely not. And I... Absolutely not. You know, in Islam... Muhammad is the prophet. He is the truth. There is no way you can actually question that. And there's that. a price to be paid for even questioning that. And and many Muslims don't even think about that price because it's kind of the norm of life. It's kind of the fundamental of life. You know, you, you're not going to question that. Yes, there is a big price. There's a big price of even offending Muhammad, you know, uh, by, by saying anything that is not... Uh, very flattering about Muhammad. You cannot say anything about, about Muhammad whatsoever. Uh, and there is things that is questionable. But for me, the reason that I wanted to test his legitimacy is because if, if I'm going to prepare myself to reach out to the Christians and the Jews and others, and I'm going to tell them you need to believe this and you change your lifestyle and change everything you believe in and follow Muhammad, I thought that they would ask, you know, he's, you know, wh- why would we do that? You know, is Muhammad legitimate? And actually, in the third chapter of the Quran, which is uh, the second largest chapter of the Quran, talks about the story that I actually talked about a lot in the book, is the confrontation between the Christians and Muhammad about his legitimacy. 
what happened is Muhammad sent a letter to the Christians, you know, down the road from him in the south of Saudi Arabia. At that time, there was a big church, Catholic church at that time. And he sent a letter to them that says, you know, you need to pay a poll tax so you can be safe uh, or convert to Islam and leave the teachings of Christ and Jesus and all of those stuff that you believe in because it's all of his lies. Uh, Muhammad said, I am the only truth. So either follow me and become a Muslim or pay a poll tax so you can be safe and I would not attack you. So the Christian decided that they're going to put a delegate together and go to visit Muhammad and ask him uh, some, some serious questions about his legitimacy, why they should leave their faith in Christ and follow him. And I found that is a very interesting thing. You know, maybe if I found what Muhammad answered them, then this is the best way that I can convert Christians as well. He must have, you know, it is Muhammad is a prophet. He is the most legitimate prophet ever, as I believed. And I will see and grab his words and I will use them for my preaching in the future. And I, you know, I read this. I actually memorized that chapter as a kid. You know, mm-hmm. it's a very long chapter, very hard to memorize, but I never digged into the words as, as I did when I was doing this quest. And I found that, you know, it's a long story, back and forth. The Christians start asking the legitimacy question and Muhammad would not answer. And at some point, Muhammad said, give me three days to come back with you with the right answer. He never did miracles, did not do anything. And at the end of the day, he said, well, I came up with an answer. And they said, okay, let's gather in the front. And he said, this is what Muhammad did. He said, I'm going to grab my family, my kids and my wife, and, and I'm going to go in the, the front yard, and I'm going to cover myself with a clock, which is a piece of cloth, and I would swear that I am saying the truth. And, if, uh, and I would ask as well, if I am lying, then I will be cursed. And that's the best answer he came up with. So the Christian looked at him and said, should we accept that kind of a challenge or not? And the Christians decided that they are not going to accept the challenge, even as ridiculous as it is, and decided that, Muhammad, do not embarrass yourself. Uh, we will pay you the poll tax that you want, but we are not going to leave our faith in, in, in Jesus. And, and that was very interesting for me from different perspective. Number one is they choose to pay instead of converting. This means that they are not convinced with the legitimacy of Muhammad. They are willing to pay a big amount of money so they can stay follower of Christ, but not follow him. And, 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 the, and the response of Muhammad himself is not going to be used in any way to, if I come to you right now, imagine it says, you know, you need to leave your faith as a Christian, Jesus who's love, giving you forgiveness, all of the things that we, uh, we talk about, about Jesus and what he did and the sacrifice he did, and we say, no, he never died on the cross because Muhammad said so, and uh, the only reason that Muhammad is legitimate is be, because he offered to cover himself with a piece of cloth and ask the curse of, of God on him if he's saying the, uh, the law. I think if, if, you, if you give this kind of option to any criminal today, they are not going to have a problem saying it so they can get off any criminal act. It's not, it's not a good thing. And, you know, uh, this is, was not the only example. That prompted me to go and look for other examples, how Muhammad responded to the Jews, to the non-religious people at all, about his legitimacy. Because, you know, believe it or not, everybody asked him that question. Why would should believe you? And the Jews were the most mouthy people, if you say so. Uh, the others as well. And and Muhammad never asked that answered that question uh, in any way, shape, or form uh, of a way that can be respected or or so forth. And you know, uh, I did not know about Jesus as much at that time, other than what I learned from about Jesus from the Quran. I never heard about the story of Thomas. But today, as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you know. 
the miracles that Jesus did, which is many of them actually mentioned the Quran as well, except the turning water into wine. And there is other more miracles that Jesus did uh, that it is not mentioned in, in the Christian uh, literature whatsoever. One of them is that he was able to speak uh, when he was only seven days old uh, to defend his mother Miriam. So the, the, there is the, the, the miraculous nature of Jesus and his miracles is mentioned in the Quran and Islamic literature a lot, but nothing about Muhammad. Muhammad did not do any miracles whatsoever. And, you know, when, when we right now look at Jesus, he never shied away from the question of, are you legitimate? Are you who you are? Are you really the resurrected Jesus? You know, he did not shy away from asking Thomas and says, hey, here is my hand, put your finger in it. Or even showing up to Peter, uh, you know, and asking, put the, 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 the net on the other side so he could recognize him. You know, Jesus never sighed because if you are the truth, you will never shy away from the question. So now the door is open. You, you've got doubt. Uh, you've grown up in this very strict home. But you have doubt because you read in the Quran, you've done your research, and you see that there is a question as to the legitimacy of the prophet. And that kind of opens the doorway for you to begin to explore what is the truth. And there's a very compelling part of your book where you talk about, um, as I alluded to at the beginning, the separation between you and this older gentleman who turns out to be your father. And uh, it almost costs you your life. Could you unpack that story for us briefly? Uh, make no mistake, it was not an easy path, uh, even finding those kind of uh, question uh, that did not just let me leave Islam all of a sudden. You know, I start going following the tracks to find what is the truth and so forth and to find more and, and, and so forth. And when I was in desperation, I went to my father, as I usually do. He is a very well-known preacher, so I went, went to him to ask him the question. I want him to help me, but the, re the rejection was unbelievable, something that I've never experienced from him before. Just even asking the questions caused that. Yeah, and I ex explain in details, you know, how I amassed the power to ask those questions. And, you know, I knew the, the, the penalty for those questions. And the penalty of those is mentioned in the Quran, that you should not ask and, and you should not ask questions that would lead you astray and many things. I'm, I'm, I'm very well versed in Islam. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not somebody who just uh, was a Muslim by name only or Muslim by practicing. I was preaching and I was a very strong preacher as well, actually. So I knew the penalties and I would exactly know what I'm up to. But when I went to my dad, I was trying to having some hope that it, the discussion will be discreet, confidential, and is going to be one-to-one -one who understands my faith because, you know, we have been uh, buddies and many me of him for years. So he, he would know that I'm not just a, a guy who is kind of a, a smarty pan, try to question the religion and just leave. I was actually out of desperation, but his response was uh, unbelievable. And then I and I explained why as well later on in, in, in the book, you know, not to give him, well, actually to give him excuses because, my dad is not the bad person in, in this story, or my mother actually even with her uh, big fight against me, or my family altogether, or even Muslims. The enemy is the devil, and then the devil is out there to deceive and to enslave people. And when the devil enslaves people, he can use them for the most evil things uh, can be done. But uh, we are all created in the uh, very, uh, you know, liking of, of, of God, the creator of heaven and earth, and he loves us all equally. Uh, and the reason for this book and the reason for mentioning that story is actually to grab and have a grip on that kind of fact that we are all children of God 
some of us are very lost. Some of us need the, the grace of God. And it's our mission to make disciples of all nations, as Jesus told us to do. Well, at one point, your father invites you to come after an extended period of separation where the two of you were not um, together and there was the animosity had grown to the point of great separation. Your father uh, welcomes you to come to his, his office, his medical clinic, and, and something dramatic happens. After uh, 10 years from the questioning, in, in 2003, uh, I, I, got a, I received a phone call from uh, the reception at uh, our hospital. You know, my dad built a hospital over there. He came from nothing, but, you know, he was able to. So we have a hospital over there, and a hospital and a half, actually. And the receptionist called me and asked me to meet my dad at uh, his office, original office, um, in the very early hours of the day, morning, after the morning prayers. It's 3 o'clock and 3, 3.30 in the early morning a.m. And I went over there. It has been 10 years since we have this divide and this fight. And, and I was suffering a lot from all of the things that's happening because of my own questioning and all my own expedition. And I was going there into the office with the hope that I will have some kind of reconciliation with my father, that my father finally wants to have a talk. And, um, and st- uh, when I walked into the office, I was received with a booby trap that was meant to kill me instead of reconcile with me. And by the only of grace of God, I was actually saved that day because I tripped on a rug that was there for years since I was a kid. And um, it was only God that wanted me to be, li- to be alive today. So uh, that became an inspiration later on to me but at that day it was it was a disaster um, I, I was I sustained some serious burns and I end up in the hospital and and uh, did uh, three months of recovery uh, but but here's the most important thing you know at that day March 29 2003 is a day I will never forget ever in my life because of the tragedy because of the explosion and the, the everything else but there is a, a, something else I uh, happened that day which is uh, when I was in the back of the ambulance, I was l- by myself completely. There was nobody with me. They usually they have paramedics or something in the, in the back of the ambulance. I was by myself. Maybe I was not, I don't know, but I just, I was completely by myself. This is what I believe. And I was looking out of the window, and this is where uh, a, a picture that I had since I was third grade, which is uh, uh, words etched on a blackboard uh, in a Christian classroom that says, God is love, Allah mahabba. And uh, this is the day that actually I broke the last chain between me and Islam. And I decided to follow Jesus in a very interesting way. It's not like, you know, Jesus, I'm all yours. No, actually, I said in a very interesting way. Here is what I said. I said, you know, if Islam is the right way, if Muhammad is the truth and is going to lead me to heaven, I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to follow him. I'm not going to be a Muslim ever, a second, more second in my life, even if that will lead me to hell. And I will follow Jesus of love. And I will follow that God of love, even if if he's going to lead me to hell as well. So I'm going to follow you, Jesus, every day that I'm alive so I can enjoy the love at least with my own will. And if the end is going to be hell, I'm ready to take it. Compelling. So that really begins your journey toward Jesus, who is the truth that you've been searching for. It started my journey to uh, to commit my life to Jesus, to 
get baptized and, and, and so forth. I had so many, uh, when I made that decision, I already made a lot of studying about Christianity and Jesus and so forth. So that day started to become my journey to become a, a Christian and a true follower of Jesus Christ. So as soon as I recovered, I started working on trying to find a way to get baptized, to, to, to get a Bible, to learn more about how to become a Christian, not why become a Christian. you're still in Cairo at this point. I, I was in Cairo, yes. So that's a dangerous proposition in and of itself. And it, the rejection, you have no idea. This is one of the things that I advocate the church to continue doing, is to be strong, to be powerful, to continue trying to enjoy the freedom that we have in the United States because the church in Egypt is living in fear. Every church I knocked its, on its door in Egypt and even in, in, in England, because I worked in England as a physician as well, churches in England were empty, museums, uh, th- that's my experience. And in Egypt, churches were closing their doors and sending me out as quickly as they can because they're afraid that I will be a threat to the church or the government will be a threat to the church if they accepted me in. So we have a freedom over here. We do not have guards on in our churches to, to see if the prisoners are true or not. Uh, we, we need to try our best to continue keeping the church vibrant and viable and uh, continue sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I experienced firsthand in Egypt where the churches rejected me and me out. So as we bring this to a close, Mark, what's the one thing you would want our listeners to know about Islam that you think that they probably don't really know? A lot of our listeners uh, may be familiar with, but may, may not have any Muslim neighbors, or if they do, maybe a coworker, and they haven't had a conversation about Islam with them. What would be the one thing you would hope that you could share with them that would be helpful uh, for them in understanding Islam if they're going to have a conversation with a Muslim coworker or neighbor? Number one is grab my book, you know, and read it so you can learn about Islam. The most important thing is love Muslims. Muslims are uh, very good people. They are very devout. I, I think actually their devotion to their own religion is inspirational and it's supposed to be an inspiration for us as Christians so we can have the same level of devotion. But my warning, do not ever compromise your own faith for as a Christian for the sake of uh, friendship. As a matter of fact, the best friendship is come into this relationship uncompromising Christian who is claiming the gospel, who is proclaiming the, your faith in Jesus Christ and your hope in, 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 in you know, that uh, you will know, be reaching out with love without compromise. So love your neighbor, do not compromise. Those are good words for all followers of Jesus to hear. And Mark, it's been a, an honor and a delight to have you here on our podcast, In All Things. And we have copies of Mark's book in the Office of the General Assembly. It's called The Apostate, My Search for Truth by Dr. Mark Christian. And if you reach out to our Director of Communications and Digital Strategies, Brian Smith, at brian.smith at epc.org and request a copy of this book, we at the EPC would be delighted to send this to you free of charge uh, so that you could learn more about Islam, um, benefit from Mark's story, and hopefully be able to share this good word with others. During the summer, we have a lot of books on our reading lists. Um, This is a, a gripping an accessible book uh, that tells a compelling story that is anchored around the idea of what is truth. And if you'll remember, that's Pilate's question when he looks at Jesus. What is truth? And Jesus doesn't shy away from that one bit. Uh, Neither does his follower, Dr. Mark Christian, the apostate. 
So, Dr. Mark Christian, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much uh, for having me. And, you know, if anybody wants me to come in also and to speak and talk about the book and book discussions, I, I, will, I will make myself available and I will leave some cards with the book. So when you send the book out, they have my contact information. That's excellent. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Well, my friends, this has been a great conversation for today. And um, the places with the least access to the gospel frequently are in what Ralph Winter uh, the great um, Christian missiologist called the 1040 window, of which uh, Egypt is right in the center of that. And the Middle Eastern and Arabic world um, that has been so gripped by Islam uh, all these many years, um, we have many people who are strategically trying to reach those challenging places for the gospel. But the, the reality is the world is coming to our doorstep. And to be equipped uh, with this kind of knowledge is essential for every follower of Jesus. So I highly recommend to you Dr. Mark Christian's book, The Apostate. Well, my friends, this brings us to a close of another conversation, and I would like to bring this uh, closure uh, with the good word, of course, that comes from God's word. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, that is Jesus, all things, including the truth, hold together. He is the head of the body, my friends, the church. That is our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that until the next time we gather, I bid grace and peace to you. Thank you again for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.